You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Folks, it is another week of Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall, and it has been a while since I've done one of these introductions. <laughs> I've been giving you all a, a break. Honestly, I've been here, there, and, and moving around quite a bit, and so I have not taken the time to do this. No one seems to be complaining, so I decided I'd go ahead and put them back. <laughs> anyway, there's a few things that I do want to say to those of you that listen to this program, though, before we get to this week's podcast, which is the next installment of our Exposing Kabbalah series. Number one, uh, we have concluded the process of taking applications for the DID Coach Mentorship Program 2021. Uh, we have had a lot of applicants in this year. Right? It's, it's very exciting to see what God is doing. We'll be doing the rest of our invitations in the month of September. And those of you that have submitted your applications, you already have your interview dates. And so we're very much looking forward to what the Lord is doing. Uh, Bride Ministries is endeavoring to become one of the most, if not the most, resource-rich platform for ministry to those that are coming out of satanic ritual abuse and government-sponsored mind control projects and related forms of trauma uh, leading to dissociation in the world. We want to see the hand of God move for those that have really been uh, pushed to the side and, and have had their needs unmet by the body of Christ. And so uh, we are building towards that. And part of that means training people to be ministers on our platform. And the more coaches that we have, the more people this platform is going to be able to help that cannot afford their own coaching. And that's one of the things we at Bride Ministries are doing. And next year, we're going to be doing a whole lot more of it now that we're going to have a whole lot more folks that are graduating from our DID Coach Mentorship this year. Uh, we are going to be taking people off of our waiting list left and right. And so, uh, yeah, we are going for it. I also want to let you know, guys, that we are planning the move to Houston, and that will be happening at the end of this year in early, early 2021. We are moving the whole ministry to Houston, as well as me and my wife. We are believing God that everything lands. What does that mean? We're going to land a house. We're going to land a building to meet as a ministry training center and church, and also land for our survivor housing exploit, where we can build uh, units and run programs where we are not only uh, housing survivors for six to nine months at a time, but also giving them life skills as well as free coaching to get inner healing and deliverance, all part of the programs. And so we are really looking to meet new needs uh, that we haven't been able to meet before. As you continue to sow into us, you are sowing into that vision. And uh, by the way, some of you that listen to this program may be able to help us more than others. I'm frankly, if you know of a building that we can take possession of, if you know of land, if you know of someone that's just wanting to uh, do something amazing with the resources that they have, such as land or a building, and uh, they're looking for someone to gift it to. <laughs> Keep in mind, Bride Ministries is here to receive. So we're believing God that we're going to land everything regarding the transition debt-free. I am asking you guys to believe with us because we we believe in debt freedom here at Bride Ministries. We believe that God is a God of more than enough and uh, that we don't need a bank to finance what the Lord is doing. So with that said, uh, Move to Houston is coming up. 
You can also look forward to our deliverance portal being released on our website. We are working out a few glitches and bugs at this point, but it will be very soon that we are able to uh, launch that on our web platform. And when we launch it, you as well as everyone else in the world will be able to get access to all of our deliverance resources, 25 prayers. I mean, I guess it's not all of them because we're still developing more all the time, but 25 very, very powerful deliverance templates that I will be personally walking you through through that portal um, in recordings with uh, an assessment that will be part of the whole package so people can map their problems to our resources. I think that eventually hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people are going to get extraordinary deliverance through this platform that is being made 100% free to the world. And so uh, again, when you sow into Bride Ministries, you are sowing into that. I uh, want to invite you guys to hang out with us on our website. Otherwise, um, we will see you on the other side of this break for the next installment of our Exposing Kabbalah series. You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. You are here because we've been talking about exposing Kabbalah for two months now. Two months. Can you believe it's been two months that we've been pounding away at this satanic doctrine and infiltration of Christianity? And to be frank, I'm not done yet. I, I mean, it's like every time I go to just look at something, so much just bubbles up. There's, I, I mean, I, I still plan to get into the spiritual cosmic nature of what we've run into with survivors but there's been so much that it's just come right out of their own writings and stuff that yeah we're just skirting the surface right now you know and it's i mean just the surface is terrible it's so bad and it makes me wonder why anybody could in their right mind call themselves a christian leader teach out of this these books and this background and, and actually do so with no conviction and an, an attitude of impunity. I don't know. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Folks, we're going to pray and uh, we're going to continue this journey. You know, Father God, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you for this day. It's the day that you have made and we are going to rejoice and be glad in it. We are going to enter your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise. Lord God, we know that in you there is no variation, there is no shadow of turning. King Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through you. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. You made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Though by one man's offense, death reigned through the one much more, those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord God, that we have eyes to see and ears to what your spirit is saying, hearts to understand. We place martial law 
over the astral realm and declare that we will not be hindered or checked by any outside force and that all parts attempting to astral project and agents of darkness going out of body to sabotage this meeting or create disruption, confusion, panic, or any other kind of evil work against anyone tuning in is immediately apprehended by our heavenly host and taken to where the Lord Jesus puts them. Lord God, we thank you that uh, you are seated in our midst. We invite your presence. Thank you for your goodness and faithfulness in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. So this is week nine. And we have been talking about Kabbalah. What is Kabbalah or Kabbalah? Kabbalah is the ancient Jewish tradition of mystical interpretation of the Bible, uh, largely the Old Testament, first transmitted orally and using esoteric methods. Kabbalah is an esoteric method, discipline, and school of thought that originates in Judaism. What is its connection to Judaism? Answer, it is not possible to discuss Kabbalah apart from a conversation on what is called Judaism or Jewish doctrine. Now, just about all of you know, except for maybe those of you that are tuning into this series for the first time, right? Because we've been over this, but I'm repeating myself so that we all get to the same page. Uh, some Christians think that Judaism is simply a study of the Old Testament. I used to be in this camp. This is why many believers like myself, we're confused as to why followers of Judaism can so firmly deny Yeshua, Jesus Christ. It's like, well, you have all these prophecies and they're all fulfilled in our New Testament. And if you just listen to me explain how Yeshua fulfills over a hundred prophecies throughout the Old Testament, you should come to the same conclusion that I did, that Yeshua, Jesus Christ is Lord. But that's not what happens. As a matter of fact, some of the most ardent opponents of Jesus Christ as Messiah are Orthodox Jews. And um, this is primarily because Jewish doctrine regarding the Old Testament comes from two sources. The Babylonian Talmud being one of them, which is a commentary on the Mishnah. And the Mishnah is the first major written collection of the Jewish oral traditions known as Oral Torah. And it is considered by all Orthodox Jews to be as divinely inspired as the Old Testament itself. The other arm or branch or source of Jewish doctrine comes from Kabbalah, which in itself means to receive and is a collection of Jewish esoteric books. And even the most conservative Jewish rabbis today acknowledge that all Orthodox Jews give credence to the Kabbalistic works, whose primary texts include the Zohar, the Sefer Yetzirah, the Book of Mysteries, the Gate of Reincarnations, and Three Enoch. And uh, there are some that you know, want to think that Kabbalah can be separated from Judaism, uh, but this notion is dismissed by their own admission. However, you do find a whole lot of New Age groups that aren't really practicing Judaists, but they've certainly taken the occult doctrines and applied them. <laughs> so why are we talking about Kabbalah? Well, plainly stated, it's not of God, yet it's influenced all these major areas of Christendom, which we have talked about. Since many believers don't even know what Kabbalah is, they don't know what its beliefs are, know how to identify when they're being taught Kabbalah. And so it's poisoned the waters within a body of Christ. We've seen that Kabbalah has influenced the um, church 
in 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 one sense um through the christian mystic movement we've seen how kabbalah has poisoned the waters in the body of christ through hebrew roots movement and uh, affiliates types of derivatives uh, and and we've also seen this in some of the more traditional or conservative branches of Christianity through dispensationalism. The Schofield Bible specifically uh, being something that we've targeted in this series because the Schofield Bible was written and funded. I mean, it was written by Schofield, who was in collaboration with a whole lot of political Zionists and Jews of his day, and they were entwined with the Illuminati. And it was that group of people that bankrolled that Bible, which then went into all of our seminaries. So the Illuminati essentially printed the Schofield Bible and gave it to us so we could get on their timelines and their prophetic timetable, which looks like the pre-trib rapture and the manifestation of modern day Israel with all these Christians being roped into this idea that now they're supposed to help bring it to its desired end, right? And, and, and so, um, goodness gracious, we, we've learned that Kabbalah teaches an esoteric template for man and creation known as the Kabbalah tree. It's a source of revelation for students of the deep occult, students including Eliphas Levi, H.P. Blavatsky, A.E. Waite, Manly P. Hall, Albert Pike, McGregor Mathers, and a whole list of other crooks. And we have been learning why at its core, Kabbalah is a doctrine of demons and a revealing of the government of Lucifer. Yet things derived from Kabbalah, like, hmm, maybe we should, you know, lean on the sacred name, or uh, maybe we should go into Metatron's cube, is being openly purported in Christian circles as something we should do, and people don't realize what is bewitching them. I um, am going to jump ahead today, because I have a lot to talk about, and um, there's so much ground that we've covered. You're just going to have to go back at this point because we are two months in and I can no longer continue to review step-by-step step what, what we've been doing. But um, this week, we are going to talk about the secret of Leviathan. And last week, I made a comment and several people were kind of like, whoa, what did you mean by that? You know, because I said, in Kabbalah, there is a concept of twin serpents, which are two Leviathans and two Messiahs. I said that, right? And, and, and several of you were like, two Leviathans? Two Messiahs, you know? And we're still, you know, putting all these pieces together. And we have talked about the concept of twin Messiahs because I explained to you Meshiach ben Joseph, who is the driving force behind political Zionism who is also synonymous with Metatron, who is their angel of the presence, who they claim is the ascended Enoch, but who we have been able to nail down as really our son of perdition in our Bible prophecy, according to what our Bible says he's going to do. But he's essentially opening the door for his twin soul in their eschatology, who is known as Meshiach ben David, who opens up the uh, messianic era. And we're going to be getting a little bit further into what that looks like today, because we're going to be talking about the, the, the mystery of Leviathan. So, so we look at these two messiahs, and, and their whole doctrine of twin messiahs comes from the book of Genesis, because Meshiach ben Joseph is not 
an allusion to Joseph, father of Jesus, because that would be our Messiah. No, no, they're not talking about the Messiah, son of that Joseph. They're talking about the Meshiach of Joseph from, from, from the loins of Jacob, Joseph. And, and, and they have this way of looking at the story of Joseph and Judah, where Joseph was used to make a way for the rest of the tribes of Israel and Judah. And so there's this throne of David that comes through the line of Judah that their Messiah will sit on. So that's Messiah ben David. But to make a way for that to take place, this Messiah from the line of Judah, uh, you have Joseph going before him. And that would be your Metatron. So that's where they get this whole doctrine from. And they have a weird way of, you know, interpreting Torah prophecies through, and, and, and a lot of this happens in, in the Mishnah and the Talmud, right? So that's where they're pulling all of this together. Anyway, but what, what about these two Leviathans, right? And, you know, I, I am just consistently disgusted by Kabbalah. I, I'm just consistently disgusted by it. It literally makes me want to puke. And, I, and today you will want to puke as well at some points of this message because I'm just going to explain the way it is, right? And um, tell you what they teach. <laughs> You're going to be like, are you kidding me? Um, why are Christians leaning on Kabbalah to help us better understand our Old Testament when this is the belief system? I have to keep saying this because someone's gonna get it eventually. Using Kabbalah to interpret the Old Testament is like using the Book of Mormon to interpret the New Testament. What begins as a study of extra biblical texts lands one in a different religion. Kabbalah does not produce a Hebrew mindset on scripture. Kabbalah produces an esoteric occult twisting of scripture that leads one into the same path of darkness that snared Eliphas Levi and Madame Blavatsky. Period. That's what's going on. And, and, and so uh, getting to the message, right? We're, we're going to be looking at Leviathan. Now, I'm going to give you a little slide here. So I'm still making these guys. So here we see the two serpents. And I put a couple of pictures here so you all can see how this comes together. The two serpents um, are two Leviathans and two Messiahs in Kabbalah doctrine. The two messiahs are one, Messiah ben Yosef, and two, Meshiach ben David. But the two Leviathans are one, Leviathan the straight serpent, and two, Leviathan the curved or twisting serpent. Now, why two Leviathans? Well, this comes from Isaiah 27 verse 1 which we'll read in a minute, but this is what they believe. The cosmic serpent reveals itself as two serpents 
these two serpents are known as the two Leviathans and twin messiahs. So I'm not making this up. I'm not even tr like figuring it out. It, this is literally what they say. Now, if you look at this picture right here, this is the Kabbalah tree, right? It is both a creative template as well as a template for the design of man. And we've been through this because the template for the creation is revealed in the design of man and the template for the design of man is revealed in the creation, right? So we have what is called the Lurianic Kabbalistic tree of life. And in the creation application, you have from Ein Sof, this void that gets created in this limitless light from nothing, which is the actual God of Kabbalah. And then uh, in this void, the light from Ein Sof begins to come down and create in a pattern, beginning at Keter, the crown, and then moving down the tree to Chokma and then Bina, and then Chesed and Gevorah all the way until we get to Malkut. And at each point, which becomes like a filter, um, so, some, some other aspect is being established. And, and these are all called sephiroths independently and vessels. And so what happens is when Keter is established, which is crown, you see a guy named Adam Cademan arrive. This is the primordial man who is like a cosmic man who works with Chokma and Ein Sof according to their rewrite of Genesis 1-1, uh, to create Elohim. So in their view, Elohim becomes the created one. And Adam Cademan, this primordial man, or their rewrite of the first Adam, uh, becomes really this point of, uh, of the creation. And so Adam Cademan is working, and this light goes from his forehead and goes down the rest of the tree, establishing Malkuth as the physical kingdom and the physical creation. Everything else is spirit world. And then all of this shatters, right? So there's a shattering of the vessels and that messes everything up. So, so now Adam Cademan creates man in his image. This is the second Adam, which in Christianity is our first Adam. And his whole job is to establish Tikkun, which is the repair of the worlds. But instead of doing a good job and working with the serpent, which we talked about last week, to execute Tikkun Olam, because somehow the serpent in their version of the story is holy, <laughs> of course, right? Um, he unbalances the creation by eating of the tree of knowledge, which is actually the same tree as a tree of life, but it's its counterpart. So they're like one tree, but it's two. And so Adam unbalances the creation and the serpent becomes the victim. <laughs> you remember when I told you that? Somehow Satan makes himself out to be the victim <laughs> of his own antics in his rewrite, right? Because he's a pure narcissist. Narcissists, do this all the time. They hurt you and then they blame you for what they did to you because somehow it's your fault. Well, this is Kabbalah. So Satan becomes the victim and a, a real bad guy named Samael begins to ride him like a camel and now he has to do bad stuff, but it's not really his fault. So he gets wrapped into man's redemption in the last days. The certain has to rise from the ashes. And we talked about some of the aspects of what that looks like last week. Well, so this serpent becomes two serpents and he's being revealed uh, in Meshiach ben Yosef and Meshiach ben David and also in Leviathan, the straight serpent and Leviathan, the curved or twisting serpent. Now, they pull this idea of two Leviathans from 
Isaiah 27.1. This is what they do. They say, in that day, the Lord with his severe sword, great and strong, will punish one, Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, or they would, you know, translate this word straight, and two, Leviathan, the twisted serpent, or what they would call curved. And he will slay the reptile that is in the sea. How do you know? Well, just read the Talmud. All that the Holy One created in his world, he created male and female. Likewise, he created Leviathan, the straight serpent, and Leviathan, the curved serpent, male and female. If he would have allowed them to mate with one another, however, they would have destroyed the world. What then did the Holy One do? He castrated the male and killed the female, preserving her in brine for the righteous slash Zedekim in the time to come. Talmud. So there's your doctrine of two Leviathans, male and female. Now, on this point, this actually brings up something really interesting, and I'm going to explain why, why I, I find this very interesting, but then we're going to continue with the main point. Uh, this is very interesting because, and, and I'm going to say this, not everything that Kabbalah suggests is blatantly wrong. For instance, Yahweh is the name of God, right? But they use it in a way to create a doctrine of demons, and it winds up in satanic rituals being chanted in the four directions, north, south, east, and west, as a counterfeit access to the spirit world, right? But that doesn't make it not the name of God. It actually is the name of God in our Old Testament. So you can't say that just because it shows up in Kabbalah, it is essentially evil, but there is a sorting out that needs to happen because what Kabbalah does is it twists everything in scripture and then creates evil doctrines through reinterpretation, right? That's what's happened. Now, their idea of two Leviathans is very, very interesting because there is this character in the Old Testament known as Rahab. Now, when you say Rahab, the first thought that many people have is, oh, you mean the prostitute that took in the Hebrew spies when they were scouting out Jericho, who had a house in the wall of Jericho. That is a Rahab, but that's not the Rahab I'm talking about. The Rahab I'm talking about is a primordial serpent that's referenced in the Bible that's associated with the nation of Egypt. It's very fascinating. Not too much talk about Rahab, the primordial serpent. Um, but I wondered when I came across this, it's like, well, maybe, maybe that's the name of the second Leviathan. And, and I don't know. I mean, all I know is that Rahab is a real character. and I'll give you some scripture. Uh, Psalm 87 verse 4 has part of the story. I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to those who know me. Behold, O Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia, this one was born there. When he says, I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon, that's a reference to Egypt because God is associating this primordial serpent named Rahab with Egypt. He's actually saying that this is the name of the power behind the nation of Egypt, Rahab. And, and, and so it's very interesting in Psalm 89, verses 8 through 10, it talks about how God, you know, deals with Rahab. So it says, O Lord God of hosts, who is strong, Lord, like unto thee, 
or to thy faithfulness round about thee. Thou rulest the raging of the sea when the waves thereof rise. Thou stillest them. Thou hast broken Rahab in pieces as one that is slain. Thou hast scattered thine enemies with thy strong arm. Right? So, so God broke Rahab in pieces. In other words, Rahab was not a friend of God. This is what you call an enemy. And, 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 and truly, uh, if we go over to uh, Isaiah 51, verse 9, we learn more about Rahab. It says, Awake, awake, and put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake is in the ancient days, in the generations of old. Are you not the arm that cut Rahab apart and wounded the serpent? So there we find this, oh, wow, yeah, Rahab is this like primordial serpent that God cut or broke in pieces, but was still associated with Egypt as some kind of principality or whatever. It's very interesting. This is also confirmed in Isaiah 30, verse 7. Take a look. It says, uh, for the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. Therefore, I have called her Rahab Hem Shabeth. God calls Egypt Rahab Hem Shabeth, which means Rahab sit still. <laughs> so what happens when he says Rahab sit still? The Egyptians shall help in vain, right? So Rahab is clearly this principality, this primordial serpent working with Egypt. I don't know if it's, you know, where I, I didn't find this in their writings. But I, I found it incredibly interesting, and so I had to say something about it, right? Um, it's just a very, very interesting biblical study. Now, back to Leviathan. There are twin Leviathans in their writings, and they talk about it in Talmud, and they lean on Isaiah 27.1 to get there. Now, what we see in the Bible clearly is that Leviathan is king over all the children of pride. Did you know that Leviathan is a bad guy? The Bible doesn't ever talk about Leviathan in a positive sense. Never. And in Christianity, <laughs> Leviathan is in the church. He's in people. He, I mean, I have to like, kick Leviathan out of folks all the time. He's all over the place, creating perversion, and creating discord and arguments and division in the body of Christ. You know, um, my friend Arthur Burke talks about the seven heads of Leviathan. You know, there's a lot, and, and actually more recently, there's been a lot of teaching that's come out about Leviathan because this guy is a major enemy of Jesus Christ, okay? So wouldn't you think that if the Jews, so-called, that are present-day Orthodox Jews, were pursuing the same revelation that we are, legitimately looking at the Old Testament for what it says, that they would be able to come to the same conclusion. But they say, oh, that's hogwash and poppycock. It's, it's not the real story. The real story is revealed in the, in, in the rabbis and Sod, Kabbalah. That's what's going to help us understand the true mystery of Leviathan. So, like everything else in Kabbalah, it all gets twisted. And we see the entire story getting rewritten. So through deep study of Kabbalah and sources in the Talmud, we find the following conclusions. 
You ready for this? Are you ready? <laughs> Let me do a little screen share. In Kabbalah, Leviathan is the grand archetype for universal wisdom. Oh man, here it comes. The grand archetype for God consciousness. <laughs> Not done yet. The concept package that encompasses the state of eating as it will begin to manifest in the Davidic messianic era as a formula for the description of higher dimensional eating. Leviathan is the matrix containing the mystery of human and divine sexuality, which permeates the entire fabric of traditional Judaism. <laughs> Seriously. Leviathan is the futuristic synthesis of all possible modes of knowing. Who wants to ascend into Metatron's cube now? Any takers? You want to ju jump into that spiritual cosmic pollution cesspool? Are you kidding me? So th this, this is so sick, right? Because this is so sick. It's just sick. Let me explain something to you. In Kabbalah, there are two concepts known as the abyss and the veil that must be crossed as one ascends the tree through mystical experiences. Now, the veil, as you can see in my handy-dandy picture, is right above Had and Netzach and below Tifret. So you have this triad that is Netzach, Yesed, and Had, and it's the lower triad of the tree. Malkuth is separate because this is the physical kingdom. This is spirit world. So when you ascend and you begin to ascend through these paths of the tree, you have to go past the veil. The veil shields, according to their belief, ordinary consciousness from what they call the deeper contents of our soul above the veil. So only the initiated can pass through the veil. So you have to be initiated. Think <laughs> hermetic magic, okay? Think Freemasonry, okay? Think Order of the Golden Dawn, think Theosophical Society, think the Illuminati. You have to be initiated to ascend past the veil, right? And so just keep that in mind the next time you go to a Christian mystic who's initiated into Kabbalah and he's trying to take you up the tree or she, right? So you have to cross the veil. <laughs> of course, this is all veiled in Old Testament language, so Christians are easily confused. We're in a different religion right now. This is their veil, all right? So you, you move past this through initiation, and then you work your way up the second triad, Givora, Chesed, and Tifret, and you land at a place called the abyss. The abyss is Da'at, and it guards the way to the supernal triad of Keter, Chokmah, and Bina. Now, this is why this is so sick. How many of you remember where Metatron's cube is, right? Yeah, that's right. It has its top at Da'at and its bottom at Yesed. This thing 
right? Here's Metatron's cube. It looks like this, right? The Star of Remphan, because it's been renamed the Star of David. This was never the Star of David, okay? And it is a sacred geometry. The Metatron's cube pulls you into this government and then allows you to be pumped through to the different realms that are derived from this government and the spiritual worlds attached to it. Da'at is the abyss. Now, when you look at this image here, which is the emblem of the Theosophical Society, what you see is their view of the cosmos in that everything in the universe is actually contained by the serpent. This is Leviathan here. This is Leviathan. And what you see is Leviathan is actually completely circumferencing Metatron's cube. Because, okay, again, there are two serpents. Meshiach ben Yosef, who is Metatron, and Meshiach ben David are twin souls in this Luciferian government. And they are synonymous with Leviathan the straight serpent and Leviathan the cursed serpent. And when we look at this as an emblem or, 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 or picture, what we see is the serpent actually surrounds, it circumferences the entire Metatron's cube, right? With the egg in the mouth of the serpent that's eating its own tail, which represents replication, found at the abyss or da'at. Now here's what it represents. The abyss of Da'at represents man's loss of knowledge after the second shattering of the vessels would fall. Therefore, Leviathan, as their kosher serpent, which we talked about last week, is prophesied to restore knowledge to mankind. <laughs> so in, in, in Kabbalah, two, the two serpents are two Leviathans and twin messiahs. So in, in their view, it's through Leviathan that we gain God consciousness. Furthermore, Leviathan is implicated in the receiving of, a, and we're going to get to this, a new Torah during the Davidic Messianic reign beginning at the Feast of Leviathan because that is the true wisdom coming through knowledge. But in their ascension schemes, you need Leviathan to help you cross the Daat. So you actually have to engage with Leviathan to engage with Kabbalah. Look, you're not going to be engaging Kabbalah without engaging Leviathan. So guess what? When you're in Freemasonry and your ancestors are in Freemasonry and you're trying to get free of Freemasonry curses, first of all, you're probably going to renounce everything that they said and still be in bondage like everyone else I talked to. Why? Because underneath Freemasonry is Kabbalah. But guess what's around Kabbalah? Leviathan. So <laughs> you're going to deal with Baphomet. You're going to deal with Leviathan. You're going to have to deal with the whole Kabbalah tree if your ancestors were in Freemasonry guaranteed right <laughs> and and it's like this is so sick so so we, we see that you can't actually separate this kabbalistic doctrine from leviathan now going further leviathan is depicted as the ouroboros what is that the serpent eating its own tail because in leviathan is hidden the completion of the age and the establishment of Tikkun Olam, which is the repair of the worlds. In Leviathan is hidden the completion of the age and establishment of Tikkun Olam. The kosher serpent will help bring about the messianic 
era. So in its circular representation, the serpent Leviathan is said to represent the whole universe and everything in it, bringing about the completion of this age and the inception of the establishment of the age where the repair of the worlds has been manifested. And as students of Kabbalah, we're going to ascend the tree and engage with Leviathan in order to cross the abyss to go to the higher realms. Get it? This is what they say, right? Um, in, in Kabbalah, and some of you may be thinking about this, so I'm just going to say it. If you talk to a Jew, a practicing Jew, that is an Orthodox Judaist, okay? Remember, we have different definitions of Jew, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to define it as an Orthodox Judaist practicing person. And you say, who is Satan to you? They'll probably say, I don't know what you're talking about. Because in, in Orthodox Judaism, there's actually no concept of Satan. They have the serpent, but they don't see the serpent as Satan. So when you go into their texts, you see serpent being associated with Leviathan. Because we don't actually get a revelation of Satan until Jesus, who to them is fiction. So anyway, um, from this point, we're going to move into what is known as the Feast of Leviathan. This is where your stomach is really going to turn if it isn't already doing the tumble on the inside. I mean, this is just really bad. So they have this whole concept in Kabbalah known as the Feast of Leviathan, which isn't just Kabbalah. This is Judaism, okay? And it comes from an interpretation on Isaiah 25. And in Isaiah 25... Uh, verse 6, it says, and in this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of fat things, um, uh, of well-refined wines on the lees, and he will destroy on this mountain the surface covering of the covering cast over all people and a veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, the rebuke off his people. He will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Now, from this passage, there is a conclusion in Judaism that is called the Feast of Leviathan. They say... This feast that God is making after Messiah has returned is actually Leviathan. We get to eat him. And, um, you know, they also will rope in behemoth into this. But they, but they say that the, 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 the meat, the choice pieces come from this serpent. So we're, we're, we're eating the serpent, right? But it's like cosmic food at this point. Think, you know, spirit food, like human flesh in your dreams that you need to renounce every morning when you wake up <laughs> on steroids. No, now you're actually eating the serpent himself in order to inaugurate the Davidic messianic reign. Daniel, how do you know this? Where does this come from? This can't possibly be true. This is just really stretching me. 
Well, let's take a look at Talmud Bava Batra 74a. The Holy One will in the time to come make a banquet for the righteous from the flesh of the Leviathan. And he will make a canopy, Sukkot or Sukkot, from the skin of Leviathan. The rest of the skin will be spread out by the Holy One upon the walls of Jerusalem and its radiance <laughs> will shine from one end of the world to the other as it is written. Nations will walk in your light and kings in the radiance of your rising. So Nogah, radiance, is associated in Kabbalistic interpretation with the skin of Leviathan. So the radiance that shines upon the world is not actually the light of Jesus Christ. No, it's the light of the serpent. Very straightforwardly, this is not, this isn't even Kabbalah. This is, this is Talmud. This is Talmud. And, and so you have to eat the flesh of Leviathan. And, and this is so deeply entrenched in their belief system that if you go into the Siddur, which is a Jewish book of prayer, they actually have this prayer. It says, may it be your will that just as we fulfilled the mitzvah, right? The keeping of the commandments of dwelling in the Sukkot in this world, may we merit to dwell in the Sukkot, the covering, the tent of the future made from the skin of Leviathan. Can you imagine? So, so Messiah comes and I get to go inside of this cosmic multidimensional tent of serpent skin while serpent skin surrounds the new Jerusalem, the apex of cosmic government and the brilliance of light shining forth from that serpent skin is the, the, the radiance of God's rising. Who wants to go into Metatron's cube now, right? Who, who, who really wants political Zionism? Because see, political Zionism is driven by this doctrine. They want Israel common day so that they can pull their timeline in and pull their Messiah in because they believe this is what's going to happen. And they want Christians to donate to their funds. Seriously? You know, um, in history, there's this feast. It's one of the feasts of Yahweh the Feast of Tabernacles. That is the Feast of Sukkot. Why? Because the Hebrews spent 40 years in Sukkot. Those were their dwelling places, their tents in the wilderness. So, so what is being said here is that the dwelling place of the coming people of the Messiah will be under the skin of the serpent. But God said he is going to hide us under the shadow of his wings. Like, what, what do you want? You want the wings of God or the skin of the serpent, right? We're exposing Kabbalah. We're exposing it. This is, this is what they say. I, I mean, I, you just read their books. You don't have to, I mean, get mad at me. I'm just saying what they say. So moving on, we, to get to the next point, we have to understand something known as the three C's of consciousness. Again, this isn't necessarily Christian doctrine at all. It's not. This is what they say. But in order to understand the feast of Leviathan, 
we have to understand the three C's of consciousness. What are the three C's of consciousness? Number one, cerebral consciousness. Cerebral consciousness of eating, knowing, and union through thought. Okay? Number two, culinary consciousness of eating, knowing, and union through food. And carnal consciousness of eating, knowing, and union through flesh. Which is a synonym for sex, okay? Um, now, remember, uh, one of the uh, <laughs> really sad facts that we went over uh, came from this slide that I shared with you the other week, right? So you have to under understand what's built into the system of religion. You know, if we read from the Jewish Talmud, it, it, it says things like Gentile girls are in a state of filth from birth and a Jew may have sex with a child as long as the child is less than nine years old, right? Uh, there is a, a, a certain degree of sexual deviancy that is actually written into the religion. And it's all throughout different passages of the uh, Talmud. And it gets worse with Kabbalah. Um, but it's said that the Feast of Leviathan is when all three modes of reality, cerebral consciousness, culinary consciousness, and carnal consciousness, will be experienced simultaneously within every individual being, which basically boils down to thought, food, and sexuality. Now, just to ground us out before we go any further, we have to take a look at our New Testament to just see how diametrically opposed to where this goes, God actually is. Um, it says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. In other words, the uh, three seeds of consciousness and the feast of Leviathan are going to establish the exact opposite. So it's taught that through eating, thought, and, that, and sexuality, these are all aspects of da'at unified in Leviathan, the multidimensional consciousness that will inaugurate the messianic era of Messiah ben David. All right. And um, I'm going to just pull this up real quick. So, oh, okay. Where'd you go? We're going to take a look at this again and back here. All right. So serpents climbing up, da'at is here at the throat, right there, there. It is taught that thought, eating, and sexuality are aspects of da'at unified in Leviathan, the multidimensional consciousness that will inaugurate the messianic era of Messiah ben David. Thus, according to Kabbalah, the messianic era is entrance through the consumption of the cosmic serpent, right? So in order to unify eating, sexuality, and thought, we are going to eat this banquet of snake. 
Now, in this way, Leviathan becomes the inaugural meal of an era that is a counterfeit to what Jesus has already inaugurated. That's, that's the funny thing, is that Jesus did what they're believing for Leviathan to do 2,000 years ago. So um, the era of the rule of Messiah ben David is something they have deemed as a future event, tied with the prophetic role of the modern state of Israel. The same theory worked its way into the notes of the Schofield Bible, which is why many dispensationalists do not believe that Jesus has already occupied the throne of David. If you talk to a dispensationalist, they say, yeah, Jesus will sit on the throne of David at his second coming when he returns to redeem Israel. Because the church in dispensational doctrine is God's parenthesis in a much larger, more meaningful work that he's doing with Israel. They completely ignore the fact that God has named Jesus Israel and in Jesus Christ made of two, one new man, having broken down the middle wall of division in his flesh and then transferred the kingdom to those that are in him, right? That all goes away. We become the apostrophe and Jesus comes back <laughs> to sit on the throne of David. So they actually tie Christian eschatology to Kabbalah eschatology. And they get a bunch of Christians absolutely confused, thinking that, yeah, Jesus doesn't occupy the throne of David yet. We're going to get to that later because Jesus already occupies the throne of David. And you were lied to if you believed that. It's sick. So anyway, um, in Kabbalah, the Feast of Leviathan, all right, so, 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 so we're back on this, and, and keep this in mind, right? Jesus, I, I just have to say this, is the bread of life, the inaugural meal of the new covenant, and the messianic era, literally the age without end, happens when we partake of Jesus Christ, our bread of life. Like we become into union and divine consciousness of him. But in the same way, we partake of a spiritual meal that is the bread of life as Christians. They're saying, no, we want to partake of a spiritual meal that is multidimensional and a snake. Right? This is what's happening. So, so in Kabbalah, the feast of Leviathan consists of an application of the skin of Leviathan and the flesh of Leviathan and serves as the inauguration of the new Torah, okay? So we're gonna go and take a few more steps here. And this is just a quote, right? Um, this, this book that I got is, is just so handy dandy because it literally spells out in plain English the most petrifying realities of what they believe. And, and, and so Joel David Baxt just goes and writes, also contained, and most importantly, in the vast encompassing framework of Leviathan, is that of ultimate sensual delight and sexual bliss. Right? Okay. No, uh, no confusion there. That this concept is also contained in the Leviathanic matrix should not surprise us, as the mystery of human and divine sexuality permeates the entire fabric of traditional Judaism. Thank you for saying that, so I don't have to. 
The Kabbalah, as is known, is only amplifying and revealing that which is intrinsic within traditional Torah. The higher dimensional function of sexuality is alluded to in the eating of the Leviathanic flesh at this grand cosmic event. Yet the secret of the skin of Leviathan and the Sukkot, or the Sukkah canopy, that will surround the righteous Zedekim in this new reality, that is the skin being put around the New Jerusalem, holy city, uh, goes even more directly into the mystical source of human sexuality, the secret of carnal knowledge. Carnal knowledge is the term that comes to us directly from the same verse above as in cerebral knowledge and culinary knowledge. And Adam knew his wife Eve. In other words, there's this mystery playing out in the, uh, this inaugural meal of the Messianic era, the Feast of Leviathan, that is deeply sexual. That is deeply sexual. And we're going to talk about that. Because why? Because when we look at what Kabbalah produces, which is occult and hermetic magic and the theosophical side, all this stuff, Freemasonry, like what is at the center of it? You have all this sex magic and all this ritual around sex and sexual abuse and pedophilia. And it's woven right in. And, and you can actually see the philosophies coming through. They just bleed right through. And, and, and they twist the Bible to come up with this stuff. So, so now we're going to move into something known as the new Torah, right? <laughs> okay, watch this. So it's taught that this Feast of Leviathan is a feast of knowledge and will inaugurate the new Torah, which they believe is referenced in Isaiah 51.4. Isaiah 51.4 says, listen to me, my people, and give ear to me, O my nation. For law, literally, Torah, will proceed from me and I will make my justice rest as a light of the people. Okay, so the, this, this feast of knowledge, this feast of Leviathan, will inaugurate this new Torah that they believe is referenced here in Isaiah 51.4. They teach a concept called Remez Ha-Remezim, which is the secret of secrets. Now, this connects into paradise or parties, which are the four levels of Torah interpretation, which is basically the straightforward reading, the deeper reading, the midrash, the rabbis, and the 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 um, you know, the scribes. And then below that is Sad, which is the Kabbalah. So those are the four levels. And then there's this secret fifth level called Remez Ha Remezim, which is for them the secret of secrets. Now this is a level of Torah beyond Sad or Kabbalah that they believe will be taught once Messiah ben David or Meshiach ben David has come. This new Torah is to be inaugurated through the Feast of Leviathan. So the deepest, deepest, deepest level of all that is to be revealed as far as cosmic knowledge goes is now being revealed at the Feast of Leviathan. Watch this. It is taught that this revelation will cause reality to undergo a complete transformation. Think new age. Okay, <laughs> new age, opening up an era of universal consciousness and all consciousness being conscious of itself. Okay, <laughs> now it is taught that Leviathan is so big, its magnitude dwarfs all creation and therefore it contains the creation in its circle, devouring its own tail. This is why it's able to be meat of the inaugural feast of the Jewish messianic era. Right? It, it has the capacity to unlock this thing. 
And, and when you begin to read between, and which you don't really have to read between the lines, they just come out and say this. The skin of Leviathan is said to be the canopy or the Sukkot, the dwelling place. But the flesh of Leviathan becomes the phallus. This is the big mystery, the big secret. <laughs> Leviathan's phallus. The skin covers the flesh. So this skin of Leviathan in a twisted way becomes compared to the foreskin of the phallus that needs to be removed so the feast of meat can be the consumption of the phallus of the serpent, which is the ultimate illumination of light. Did you know that the like number one highest ranking office for males, as I understand it, in the Illuminati is called the Pindar. That's called the dragon's penis. I'm sorry I said that word, but it, it's just like, th this is the whole end of their, the, like, it's like the big secret. <laughs> the phallus of the serpent is the big secret. And Kabbalah just walks you down this deep pit, this hole, this abyss. You're like, oh, you know, let's sign up for dispensationalism and let's sign up for political Zionism and let's sign up for Metatron's cube and let's go on these ascension trips using the name of Yahweh. Forget about Jesus, sacred name, this, all that. And we're going to find our way deep, 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 deep and land ourselves smack dab in the ultimate illumination of light, which is the foundation of this whole doctrine, the phallus of the serpent which gets compared to Adam, who they teach was originally clothed in light, but grew his own foreskin when he unbalanced the creation, eating from the tree of knowledge. So it's undoing what was done. You're pulling back the foreskin and revealing the meat, the phallus. The new Torah. The big secret's out. I cracked the code. It's anticlimactic. It really is. <laughs> it's exactly what you expect it to be. Satan wants to have sex with women. Um, now, here's the thing. Quite contrary to getting on board with the political movement driven by Metatron, who looks to produce the capital of the new world order so that there can be a feast on the phallus of Leviathan as the world is initiated into universal consciousness, I want you to know that Jesus has a better idea. He already occupied the throne of David, making a way for our redemption as the savior of the world. And I will prove it to you. <laughs> so, 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 so this is the fun part. The Bible says in 2 Samuel, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. This is the prophetic message, decree of the establishment of the throne of David for the first time. It happens in 2 Samuel chapter 7, right? So now we know that the throne of David is established forever. And then God 
builds upon this theme in Psalm chapter 89, verses 3 and 4, which says, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations, right? And it, remember, in dispensational theology, we're, thought, we're, we're, we're thinking and we're taught Jesus hasn't filled this throne yet. He's coming back a second time to do this when he is Israel's Messiah or the Jews' Messiah or whatever, however we've worked that out in our head. Right. And, and it's like, no, no. Right. So, so the promise is made. And then we, we see Isaiah prophesying about the Messiah that will occupy the throne. It says in Isaiah nine verses six and seven, for unto us, a child is born unto us. A son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders and his name will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. In other words, Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach is the one that's going to be sitting on that throne and no other. Not Metatron, not Meshiach ben Yosef, not Meshiach ben David, not Leviathan or Satan or whoever want. No, it's Jesus that's going to sit in that throne and already did. And that's the thing. It's like, how, how, how much these people have taken advantage of our ignorance because we haven't put our confidence in the fact that our God is already sitting in where they're trying to seat. Their nonsense. We're still thinking we have to sit down and warm our pew until we die and get our pie in the sky. It's a mess. Isaiah 16, verse 3 through 5 continues the story. Take counsel. Execute judgment. Make your shadow like the night in the middle of the day, hide the outcast. Do not betray him who escapes. Let my outcast dwell with you, O Moab. Be a shelter to them from the face of the spoiler, for the executioner is at an end. Devastation ceases. The oppressors are consumed out of the land. In mercy, the throne will be established, and one will sit it in truth in the tabernacle of David judging and seeking justice and hastening righteousness. Throne's going to be occupied. Isaiah 6, verses 12 through 13. Watch this. You know, it, nobody's going to be confused about this after I get done. There's no room for argument or debate. Jesus is on the throne. End of story. I'm not going to eat a snake I'm not going to sit under a canopy of a serpent's skin, and I'm not going to help anyone else do that. I'm going to sit under the canopy of Jesus. I'm going to preach the name of Yeshua, and I am going to enjoy a glorious destiny in him as his child. I'm not building a kingdom on the earth of the earth. I'm building into the earth a kingdom that Jesus came to represent from the heavenly realms. That's where I stand, and I'm not going to settle for anything less. This is just ridiculous what these... The, 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 the way people have been hoodwinked, you know, so, so, so when I, uh, Zechariah 6, 12 through 13 says, then say to him, 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, a man whose name is Branch, for he will branch out from where he is. And he will build the temple of the Lord. Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord. And he who will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne. Thus, he will be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace will be between the two offices. Jesus is the branch. Jesus is the priest. And Jesus is the king. And in him... We become branches in him. We become kings and in him, we become priests. Watch this. Hebrews 5, 6. Just as it also says in other passages, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. That's Jesus. And we become members of the priesthood of Melchizedek as believers in him. We enter the heavenly priesthood. Now watch this, okay? There is absolutely no confusion in the apostle who spoke in Acts chapter 2 and finished the debate. He said, brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. He didn't say of the second return of the Christ. He said of the resurrection, the resurrection 2,000 years ago. That's what he spoke of, settled and done. He continues and says that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this, which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel, all the house of Israel, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Any questions? So, Jesus is the inaugural meal. John 6, 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. You want to eat bread of life or a snake? You've been listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. This podcast is a production of Bride Ministries International. Visit our website at brideministriesinternational.com to enjoy the Bride Ministries Church, the Bride Ministries Institute, free resources, and to support us financially.